Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. First of all, special thank you to everybody who participated in our virtual trivia contest last night. It was fun. And, and I just want to say this. There, there was most of them were like holiday trivia questions and things like that. But we had a couple questions that were sprinkled in about WTMJ personalities. And the, the one the one involving me, I, I just want to say this at the outset. Blame our program director, Brad Lane, for that. Because, see, I, a couple of the questions it asked, for example, you know, who was the beneficiary of, of Jane Matinair's WTMJ Cares event? It was something like that. It was, it was, it was things like that that people would, would know. Well, ours, I do admit that the, the selection that our program director said about me, it was kind of a, it was sort of a trick question because we at the first, the question was, what, um, what was the first concert that Jeff Wagner attended? And, of course, everybody knows that I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. And that was the first thing. And, and I would say probably about 85% of the people said, you know, Jimmy Buffett. That, that was it. Well, the truth was, first concert I attended was Arlo Guthrie. Um, it was actually Summerfest. It was the night that George Carlin got arrested in 1972. It was after my freshman year in high school. And I was, in fact, there. But, but. You wouldn't know that. So that that actually could have been a defining factor, you know, because if the, it was very close at the end between who won and not, that was not my question. That was the program directors. But it is a true. It is. It is true. Arlo Guthrie and Pete Seeger, the noted singer and all that, that. That was the first show I ever saw at Summerfest. Went on to see a lot of them after that. All right. I think special kudos this time of the year need to go out to all the people who are delivering packages, whether it's the folks that are delivering packages for FedEx or for Amazon Prime or for UPS or for the post office. I figuratively speaking, take my hat off to you because this year, look, every year is busy around the Christmas holidays as people are shipping stuff. This year is particularly so. And one of the things that I have been absolutely blown away by is the fact that when I when I go on to order something online, and for a variety of reasons, I've been ordering lots of stuff online over the course of the last couple of weeks just because of various things that we, we've got going on. I, I'm always amazed at how quickly I am told stuff is going to, to get there. Um, I, I ordered some little stuff yesterday. Oh, it's scheduled to be delivered today. I ordered things the other day, and matter of fact, they could have delivered. I ordered some stuff on Saturday. They could have delivered it on Sunday, but I said, well, no, I, Tuesday is fine. And, and the stuff all came. I have just been very, very impressed with how organized the people have been. Now, in some cases, there were some things I ordered last week that the delivery date wasn't going to be until after Christmas. It would be that week afterwards. But I understand that. I mean, things are really busy. The people who work for the Postal Service, um, and, and again, if you're a regular listeners program, you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of the people that work for the Postal Service. And I, I will tell you, like our, our local mailmen, mail ladies, I mean, they bust their butts getting stuff delivered. And the thing I have noticed around the holidays is that it's taking them longer and longer to do their job. Our mail normally comes about 3 o'clock in the afternoon or so. 
Um, many times, postal carriers don't get to our house until like five five thirty. You know, so they're they're working late, but they're they're working really hard. They're getting stuff delivered because they're being swamped by stuff. So I was a little bit surprised knowing that everybody's doing their best. When I see this story in the Washington Post, USPS, that would be the Postal Service, gridlocked as historic crush of holiday packages sparks delays. And then it goes on to talk about how, you know, there there are delays in getting stuff delivered in large part because everybody's just being swamped by this, including the fact that some private carriers like FedEx and UPS are cutting off new deliveries for some retailers because they're overwhelmed. And as a result, because these retailers are trying to send stuff out and normally they would use FedEx or UPS, they're, they're turning to the Postal Service, which means that it's, it's even more of a crush than normal. And so I, I started pursuing this. And I will tell you, as often happens when these stories get out there, every TV station in the country then picks it up and does a story. I'm looking at one from uh, Indianapolis, huge backlog at U.S. post office means millions of holiday packages might not arrive by Christmas. Locally, today's TMJ4 did a story yesterday. More people report packages sitting idle at the U.S. Postal Service's Oak Creek facility. And it reports that... Um, you know, some people drop stuff off and the packages just aren't aren't moving because they are they are just absolutely overwhelmed. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right, here's here is the thing. I I think the postal service and the package delivery folks are doing a great job. I I really I really do. And I understand that our patience is being tested, perhaps tested like never before. But the truth of the matter is more and more people, for whatever reasons, particularly during a pandemic, are shopping online. They're getting stuff delivered. And as we get closer to Christmas, you have the delivery drivers and the delivery services and the postal service, which is just absolutely being overwhelmed. And look, I understand that there is a frustration if you're used to ordering something and expecting it's going to be there in 48, get to your place in 48 hours. Or you're used to, I don't know, sending something, and typically, gee, if I mail it by the 17th or the 18th, I know it's going to get there in time for Christmas. But this is a different year. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. How are the delivery services doing? How are the postal service doing? I understand that there is a backlog, but is it legitimate to complain about that given everything they are facing this year? And my answer would be, well, well no. This is a year unlike any others. And, and yeah, I know you want to get that package to Aunt Trudy. I get it. But the bottom line is she might have to wait until the couple days after Christmas to get it. And it's nobody's fault. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, maybe it's a better show if I'm sitting here complaining about, hey, the Postal Service, they're, they're not guaranteeing that packages are going to be able to get there for Christmas and all. But, but that's not the reality of what's out there. This is a Christmas unlike any other. You have more and more people that are turning to online shopping because of the pandemic. 
On top of that, what's happening is that some of the private package delivery services, FedEx and UPS, they're cutting off new deliveries for some retailers because they're overwhelmed. And so what happens is these retailers are then turning to the postal service. The postal service can't say no. That, that's the way that's the way it works. I mean, UPS can say, okay, we're, we're not taking any more packages today or whatever. Postal service has to take them. The problem, though, is the postal service is absolutely overwhelmed. The story in the Washington Post says we're gridlocked. Their quote, a postal service uh, manager in Ohio says we're really gridlocked all over the place. He said it's it's bad. We've never seen it like this before. UPS and FedEx have shut us off. Nobody can keep up right now, but we don't have the luxury of turning people down. Postal service, postal offices are sitting on so much mail right now that it's almost like one day at a time in these facilities. And, and that's just the reality. So the bottom line of this to me is Rather than saying, oh, the Postal Service is screwed up, or rather than saying, oh, this is an indication that they need more people or whatever, they're just overwhelmed because of what is going on right now. Everybody's trying to do their best, but the result means you, you might have to wait a few days for your packages, and it might mean that you're not going to be able to get stuff you know, by Christmas. Now, again, I'm saying... I've been ordering a lot of stuff for a variety of reasons lately, and I've been amazed at how quickly it's it's coming. So I'm impressed, and I'm also impressed with how hard at least the people that I deal with, our mail carriers and stuff, are working. Christine in Manitowoc. Christine, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Christine. I'm a small-time eBay seller, and I have items that I shipped in early December that still have not arrived. They're still in transit. And eBay actually changed their terms because of the shipping. They do some guaranteed shipping, and they actually changed their terms and are working with sellers who are having waiting to, for packages. I just had a buyer in Arkansas who wanted this item for it's $15 item, and he paid $30 for me to overnight it. Wow. So he would get it before Christmas. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that, that's that, crazy. That, and I'm sure, like, for example, I'm sure your customers are upset. Where's my package? Where's my package? But I think everybody's got to understand that, all right, that this is these are extraordinary times. And right now, it, it's not like people are sitting around drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Everybody's doing the best they can. It's just mm-hmm. that there's so much in the system. That there's only so many deliveries you can make. There's only so many people that are out there that can process the stuff. Yeah. Ebay's actually refunded some people who didn't get their item in their guaranteed time, and then they're they're only the buyer's recourse. eBay tells them is that well, you have to invoice your buyer, and because they will still get their item, but right. in the meantime, eBay has forced a refund, and then eBay's telling the sellers, well, invoice the buyer and cross your fingers that you get paid. Right, so, right. Yeah, take the it's, risk it's there. Kind of crazy. No, no, yeah. thanks. No, it, yeah. it it is kind of crazy, and but it's just. I don't. This is one of those where I really don't think it's anybody's fault. And, and again, maybe, maybe the program is better if I'm pounding the table and I'm saying, "Oh, this is this is an example of how screwed up stuff is." What happens is I think you have a system that is just being absolutely overwhelmed because of a, a number of factors that are going on there. The, the typical Christmas rush magnified by you know times a hundred because of what's going on with the pandemic. Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hi there, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So, yeah, I work for a, a private mail contractor, and I can tell you no one is sitting around doing nothing. It, it is because of COVID. No one's going to go visit each other for Christmas, so everything's ordered online, 
and they're sending it to each other. Right. I can tell you that between downtown and the Milwaukee Annex in Oak Creek, they are just swamped. Yep. There's just so much. They only have so many people that can get this stuff out. And I, I feel bad for people that they save for next day or two day, and it's not getting there. I, I understand that they're upset because they pay for a service, and the postal services, they're doing the best they can. Right. No, it, it, exactly. And I, I think this is this is one of these times where, like you were saying, that people are, are just swamped and they are doing the best they can because there's you only have so many people. And even if you're working overtime, there's there's only so much you can do to try to deal with this backlog because you're exactly right. People aren't traveling as much, so they're sending the packages. People don't want to go to the store, so they're ordering stuff online. You put it all together. It's the perfect storm that's hitting right now. So we all need to pack our patience, I think. Right. And I heard from another another driver who told me that, I think he said it was up, uh, Rochester, New York, that at one time they had 100 trucks waiting to be unloaded. Right. It's right. just insane right now. I, I mean, I, I feel bad for people that are paying for a service, but... There's only so many people to go around to get this stuff out. Yeah, no, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, it, it's sort of, I, I mean, it, it's like anything. You know, we, we have a medical system right now that's that's overwhelmed with, with COVID cases and things like that. And it's not that, it, it, look, I, I understand that getting packages delivered are different than, you know, getting services if you're if you're sick. But but the point is there there's only, there, there are limits that come up, and I do believe that this is an extraordinary sort of time. So, yeah, am, am I a little bit frustrated when you say, okay, you can't get this thing right away, or why, the mail's supposed to be here at 3 o'clock, why, why doesn't she get here till 6 or whatever? Well, oh, okay, I, I understand. It's because everybody's busting their butt, but they're overwhelmed. Amy in Burlington. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. First-time caller, long-time well, listener. Well, thank you very This hey. is what motivated you to pick up the phone and call. Great. Welcome. I have to tell you, I'm at my office working, but I am so devastated by the Postal Service right now. Okay. I mailed out two packages to my daughter on the East Coast. First time she will not be home for Christmas ever and um, not traveling because of COVID. Right. And I sent these packages on November 30th. All I would have appreciated, the postmaster told me I paid for priority, yeah. two-day mail. I, she told me it would be two days late. Yeah. I paid hundreds of dollars. And um, all I wish she would have said is, hey, we're way behind, and maybe I would have went a different avenue. Mm-hmm. I guess that's my only frustration. I get they're over, yeah. overworked, and they have COVID. And, and, but I've called every person I could call, and the boxes are still sitting in the Oak Creek branch yeah. from November 30th, three weeks Monday. Yeah. I just don't think that's wrong. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's interesting. I am getting, I'm getting a number of texts from people who say, Jeff, we, we, just like you said, we, we understand that everybody's overwhelmed. The, the problem is people have paid for priority service, you know, understanding or thinking that was going to get it there two days or four days late, and it's not. And so that's, I think that's a fair complaint, you know, if you can't deliver on the priority service thing, because we understand why that's happening. 
tell us, and then, like you say, maybe you would have explored UPS or FedEx right, or, or some right. other thing. Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism. Do you, so do you have any you, – your package isn't going to get there before Christmas, My, I would I've guess. I've talked to you, and I am a persistent little bugger. I have <laughs> tracked it. It's not showing you any difference. I've called up in Milwaukee where I actually got a hold of a person, and they said, yeah, it's actually sitting there. We're way behind. They're not even into November boxes yet. I'm like – Okay, that's scary. They're and, not into uh, November boxes yet. Yeah, they said they're they're still oh. in November packages oh. shipping them, and I'm on November 30th, so they're still they're not they're out still of November. Working Got it. on right. shipping the November boxes, where I feel bad for anybody who's sent something in December if they're not on the November packages. Yeah, no, that, that uh, yeah, so yeah, they're still stalled there. Now they told me they probably won't get there. Um, before for Christmas, and another person said, "Well, they may, they may get picked up." So I don't know. I well, guess at well, this time, at least I know they're safe. Yeah, and, and Amy, just just tell your daughter it's the thought that counts. Something is coming, is. <laughs> you know. And she knows that. Yeah. She tells me that, but it just I just feel really bad because I'm not going to see her for the first time. No, I understand. No, thanks. And I call. wanted her to have something. Yeah. Thank no, you, th- Jeff. No, thanks to call and thanks so much for listening. Call again sometime, please. Um, here's the text, Jeff. I'm a mail carrier. Please cut us some slack. I think I've been doing that, but please. Cut us some slack. UPS, FedEx, etc., are cutting off a lot of business. We can't. There is an unprecedented volume, and, and yeah, that's the thing. That is that is true, and that's what you need to know. Like I say, UPS and FedEx, they can say no. They can say, okay, we we can't take any more. We're at our capacity limit, or whatever. Um, the Postal Service doesn't have the option to do that. So I do think a lot of people are heading over to the Postal Service that otherwise would have tried different routes. And I know a, a lot of, um, like a lot of sellers, for example, are relying on that as well. Jeff, I think everybody should be given a break. Um, short of some of the numerous Amazon trucks turning around in every which direction, sometimes within two or three hours in the same neighborhood. I think everybody is doing well. And that's kind of my sense as well. Jeff, I have an order from eBay shipped from St. Paul to Manitowoc on 12-4. 12-4 is the last update saying it was processed through. Nothing in almost two weeks. Swamped or not, I think that that is, in fact, ridiculous. We ordered a, a sweater. My wife ordered a sweater. It was on sale from a place. And we ordered it, I think, December 3rd. And she's like, well, I haven't gotten it. You know, what's going on? And I'm saying, honey, we just got to cut these people some breaks. You'll You'll get the sweater. You'll look great in it. Bottom line is, if you're wondering why there is this delay, Postal Service is absolutely overwhelmed. Um, they're, they're doing the best they can. So I think we all, to use Debbie Lazica's phrase, need to pack our patients a little bit this Christmas time and just realize that this is an extraordinary event and extraordinary circumstances. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, I, I do think the priority mail complaint is fair. If if people in typically priority mail, what you pay extra for is is like two days delivery. And if if you're telling people, well, it's going to be four days and it's really two weeks, I, I think that's a legitimate complaint. Beyond that, though, I think you understand need to understand that the system is just stressed. Uh, a couple texts before we go to the news. Jeff, I deliver for FedEx. We are swamped. We've been seeing Christmas numbers since March. It's only gotten worse. 
please ask people to be patient with their delivery drivers. Um, Jeff, as a former retired postal employee, thanks for presenting a balanced picture of the postal services and the challenge that people are facing this year. Jeff, I'm a letter carrier in Wauwatosa. The clerks at Oak Creek and downtown are overwhelmed by the parcels and the Christmas mail. On the carrier end, carriers are working seven days a week from 7 a.m. to as late as 9 p.m. trying to get parcels and letters uh, delivered. Um, yeah, that's and I guess that's the bottom line. Jeff, I ordered something from China that was uh, due on 12-18. Now they say January 1st. It's the thought that still counts, even if it doesn't show. If that's the worst thing that happens this year, I will be doing um, okay. So I, I guess that that's kind of the bottom line of all this. I, I think, you know, you want the packages to get there from Christmas. You want to get the stuff you've ordered as quickly as possible. But I think we all just have to recognize that, well, it, it's a different sort of year this year, which doesn't mean that, that people can't do better. But I do think that people are trying very, very hard. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Actually, I have, I have not heard a COVID carol. I mean, we, what, the way it works, I'll kind of pull back the curtain, is we, we didn't all get together. Normally what happens for the holiday shows is we, we get the script and we all get together at an area watering hole one night and we do like a live read-through and then we do the live performance a few nights later. Didn't do any of that. The, the script came out and we all recorded our lines independently. So um, I, I've seen the script, but I, I haven't seen it with the sound effects and things like that. So if it's all as clever as that segment, it will definitely be worth listening to. Okay. Here, at some point in time, do we need to put age limits? And and I, I bring this up because there's been an ongoing debate. One of the one of the newspapers I read on a regular basis to get ready for the show is the L.A. Times. Um, Diane Feinstein liberal icon, former mayor of California, is 87 years old. And she ran for re-election and was re-elected overwhelmingly two years ago. So that means if she serves out the balance of her time in the Senate, she's going to be in her 90s before before she's up for re-election again. And there's a lot of liberals in California who are upset with her and they're, they're saying she's just too old. They're, they're, part of them are mad at her because they, they thought that she wasn't tough enough during the confirmation hearings on Amy Coney, Coney Barrett. But 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 the overriding thing is, you know, people think that her day has come and, and gone. The problem that happens with politicians, left or right, is that, for example, Dianne Feinstein, who is a liberal icon in California, even though some of the liberals are turning on her, um, if, if you're a Democrat running for statewide office in California, you're, you're guaranteed to win. You know, we hear a lot of complaining about gerrymandering and stuff like that in Wisconsin. But the truth of the matter is, you know, if, if you're running for statewide office in, in California, you're, you're, a Republican isn't going to win. Now, I don't know what those, the map is going to look like 10 years from now. But right now, if you're a Democrat, you are guaranteed to win because the, California is overwhelmingly Democratic. So what happens is you have these politicians who get in, 
get elected. And then unless they get a primary challenge, unless another Democrat would run against Dianne Feinstein, she's, she's going to get reelected. Uh, Jim Sensenbrenner is retiring from Congress. Jim's been in Congress since the, the 1970s. He, he's retiring at the end of this year. But to the same point, Jim represents one of the most Republican districts in the country. And, and a, a Democrat's not going to win that seat. That's just the reality. Gwen Moore represents one of the most Democratic districts in the country. A Republican isn't going to win. So Gwen Moore is essentially in that seat as a practical matter until she decides to retire. Now, some Democrat could run against her, but the chances of, you know, an incumbent in the party losing slim to none. Jim Sensenbrenner could have continued to be elected in his district for pretty much as long as he chose. But he's finally, I mean, he's decided, look, it's time to move on. Well, what got me started about this isn't just Dianne Feinstein, but um, what's happening now is today, seven senators... Um, are at least 80 years old. This is the second largest number of 80-somethings to ever serve together. The largest group came in 2018 when eight senators were over 80 years old. Um, You've got people like, for example, Charles Grassley, a a Republican um, who ran for re-election a couple years back. He's 87 You've got Patrick Leahy, who's the Democrat from Vermont. You know, he's he's now 80, and the list goes on and on. Bernie Sanders is going to be 80. Um, Mitch McConnell is going to, you know, hit 80 as well very, very soon. So you've got a lot of these senators who are just there. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, the nature of of our electoral system is that once you get in, especially if you are, I don't know, a a Democrat in New York State running for statewide office or a Democrat in California running for statewide office or a Republican in Texas or a Republican in Utah, you know, you're, you're there for pretty much once you get in as long as you want. And you have these politicians who are just, for whatever reasons, deciding that all right, they, they, they can't give it up. They can't step aside. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I've always been kind of conflicted on term limits, but I am starting to rethink the whole idea of age limits. We have we have minimum age limits. We You can't be the president until you're 35 years old. That That's just been built in there. Apart from constitutional issues, you know, at some point in time, should we have age limits which say that, all right, if you're going to, you know, run for re-election, I think 80 is a good barometer for that. Okay, you can run for re-election before you turn, for example, 80. But, you know, once your term ends, your term ends. And so if you're 87 years old or 85 years old, no, it's time to retire. Private business has retirement ages. There, there's mandatory retirement ages. You look at retirement. You look at most of the big law firms across the country, and what happens is, at the age of 65, they start 
forced phase outs of their, their partners to the point that by 70, okay, you're, you're in retirement or you're on some form of senior status or something like that. 855-616-1620. And again, I, it's, it's tough for me to kind of say this because I'm closer to 80 than I am to 25 or 30. I, I understand that. But at some point in time, is it good for the country to have people that are that old serving in these different positions? We discuss in just a moment. And my answer would be no, I don't think it is. We disc- and which is not to knock the fact that I know that there's a lot of people out there who are very, very vital at the age of, of 80 or 85 or, or maybe even 90. But you watch some of these Senate hearings and it's almost painful because the truth is, you know, as we age, our physical skills deteriorate. All right. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. And, I mean, I think 80 sounds like kind of a, a good number as a barometer that, you know, after after the age of 80, you know, maybe it's time for some forced retirement for politicians. Like I say, in the private sector, you're... You know, you're, you're going to, mo- unless you own your own business or something like that, but I'm talking about if you work for companies and things like that, um, especially at high-level management things or law firms and stuff like that, you're going to, st- they start to have phase-outs because they they want to, they, they, first of all, they, they want to make sure that people don't have the decline that a lot of people have physically once you start to, to get older. That's just the reality. But also, they, they, they want to make sure that, that, that there's room for upward mobility for the people who are you know in their 40s and 50s who are ready to move into those senior spots. And I guess if it's good enough for business, it seems to me it should be good enough for the public, uh, for the public sector. Dennis on the South Side. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. <laughs> Good morning. Hi, Dennis. Hey, thanks for thanks for taking my call. You know, you, you start talking about this, and the first thing I thought of, probably because of my background, even the Catholic Church has got a retirement age for priests. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's around seventy-five. And, and if you study church history like I have, you know they rarely change anything like over the centuries. So if they can see the wisdom in that, yeah. I mean, for goodness' sake, we should be able to see that. You know, for our elected officials as well. Yeah, no, they, I know. And again, and I mean, here, here's how I would structure something like that. It would be not that when you hit 80, for example, you automatically have to resign, but maybe something that says that, all right, you know, if you're running for office before the age of 80, and again, pick whatever number you want, that's okay, but you're not allowed to run again for re-election after the age of 80. And I have a text here saying it's age discrimination. Well, okay, yes. It, it is, but we, we have all sorts of age discrimination that's out there. We say you can't drink until you're 21. We say you can't be president until you're 35. We say you can't drive a car until you're the age 16. We, we discriminate on age all, all the time. The question is, is there a valid reason for, for doing that? And, and yeah, is it age discrimination? A- absolutely. You know, in several states, Wisconsin not one of them, um, we put on additional requirements, for example, on older drivers. You know, after you reach a certain age, you, you need to have additional sorts of testing, things like that. I happen to think that that's a good idea, and I know I've been fighting that battle with several people for years and years. Not to say that you can't drive necessarily, but maybe you, you should have to go in and have your eyes and hearing checked, you know, once a year instead of once every six years. 855-616-1620. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, Hello. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Uh, the, the age requirement, in my opinion, is just one of three major changes I think that we, we need to apply to Congress. Of course, term limits, which you don't necessarily agree with, 
is another one, and then more competitive districts. Because, and I don't know why, when you brought this this conversation, I thought about Charlie Rangel from I think he's from New York. Yep. I don't know why that, that he he stands out to be one of those because he clearly the decline was clearly there with him in his in his later uh, you know later years uh, and kind of before he left in 20, uh, 2017. Yeah. But this is we get stuck with them. Um, the other two things that I mentioned are one of they don't have any incentive to do anything, and then they can stay there literally until they die, you know, or close to it. And they don't do anything, and they're of no good to us, and they get you know amazing pay and amazing benefits for essentially doing nothing. Well, right. Thanks. Well, and again, and it's just, I mean, I, I can remember. I know I don't want to name names, but I mean, I can remember over the years. Jesse Helms. I'll give you the example. Senator from North Carolina. He he served until his nineties, and it was, it was painful. It was embarrassing to watch because he, he just. Uh, you know, he, his skills had, had deteriorated, and it's just kind of the reality. Now, here we have Texas. Said, Jeff, if nobody is challenging Feinstein and the constituents vote her in, what difference does it make? Well, here's the, the the problem. This is the political reality, and Lamar was kind of touching on it. The reason why nobody char- challenges her. Okay, first of all, again, let, let's, let's take the non-competitive states. By that, I mean, uh, I'll use California as an example, but you can find Republicans one as well. California, overwhelmingly Democratic. A Republican is not going to win statewide for a long, long time. There's going to need to be a cease change that's there. So then you say, okay, well, why aren't Democrats running against Dianne Feinstein? Well, okay, because she, first of all, she's in there. She's got millions of dollars that, that she has accumulated. So you, you'd have to be the one that goes and says, okay, I'm, I'm going to run against Dianne Feinstein because I'm going to, because she's too old. Well, okay, try, try making that complaint. Try raising money with that sort of issue. But, and, but people just don't want to do it okay she's a liberal icon you know you know ted kennedy before he passed away and again speak nothing but good of the dead okay ted kennedy i mean his health had deteriorated ted kennedy you know at the last couple years in the senate what was not what ted kennedy was you know decades before nobody in massachusetts is going to challenge ted kennedy it just wasn't going to happen once you're there you're there. And my only point is, at some point in time, I think you have to break the gridlock. And and again, we're starting to see this. I, I For the life of me, I mean, I guess I don't understand why somebody at the age of 85 would decide, okay, I'm going to run for re-election. I, I mean, at some point in time, d- d- don't you just say, you know, life is short, it's time to go do something different. But, but that is not happening to the point that now you have at least seven senators, Republicans and Democrats, who are in their, their 80s. I just don't think that that is serving the public and serving the constituents. And is it age discrimination? Yeah, it, it's age discrimination. But at the same time, it's it's an age discrimination that I think would make some sort of sense. And like I said earlier, if it's good enough for the private sector where you have mandatory retirement ages, okay, the age of 65, 70, whatever that retirement age might be, if we start phasing people out in the private sector, you know, why not do it there? Jeff, um, I, a couple of texts, not only a matter of age, without term limits, many of those lifetime politicians lose complete touch with their constituents. Jeff, I'm an airplane pilot. We have to retire at the age of 65. How would you like an 80-year-old pilot? Um, okay. Jeff, we're getting a 78-year-old president who's going to be 82 when he leaves office. Yes, 
yes, in fact, we, we are. And uh, the other choice was uh, the Republican side was a 74-year-old president who's going to be 78. I just watched this documentary on, on Ronald Reagan. It's kind of a – I'm a huge fan of Ronald Reagan. It was on Showtime. It's a hatchet job. All, all If you watch HBO's documentaries or Showtime's documentaries, they're all very, very liberal and very, very revisionist. And it was a hatchet job on Reagan. But there's no question – that, that President Reagan, you know, he was having early stages of Alzheimer's by the, by the time he was, you know, finishing his second four year term. It's just, can that happen to anybody? It can. But at some point in time, I think we need to recognize that just like we have age limits on the bottom end, maybe we need age limits on the upper end as well. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I am sorry I am not outraged by this next story, but maybe you will be. To me, it's more of an example of the pettiness that stops and continues to stop us from getting things done, whether it's in Madison or it's in Washington. Now, over the last week or so, I've been talking about this ongoing dispute with the the Christmas tree in the state capitol. Almost every year, every year, there's a giant tree which is put up in the rotunda of the state capitol. And kids come in and they decorate it. Tony Evers, because he's Tony Evers, refuses to call it a Christmas tree, even though it is a Christmas tree. Okay, but that, that, that's Evers' hang-up. So, it, you know, it, oh, it's, it's, it's a holiday tree. No, it, it's, it's a Christmas tree. This year, the capitol is closed. And so what the Evers administration decided is they, they weren't going to have the Christmas tree put up in the the rotunda again. Okay, that's because it's it's closed. So you have a couple of Republican legislators who decided, well, we're going to put the Christmas tree up. Well, you need a permit to put the Christmas tree up in the rotunda. The Evers administration refuses to give them the permit. So they go ahead and they put the tree up anyways. Now, this is the same Tony Evers that sat around and let tens of thousands of Wisconsinites go months and months and months and months without getting their unemployment compensation. Tens of thousands of Wisconsinites are still waiting um, their appeals for unemployment, um, and, and Evers does nothing about that. But they put the tree up. Two days later, the tree gets taken down. So I guess the, the Evers administration can act quickly when it wants. The Republicans, who don't have a permit to do this, then immediately put up another tree. And a few hours later, Tony Evers, he's on top of this. We can't have that Christmas tree there, like I say, uh, thousands of Wisconsinites are awaiting their unemployment from last March, but but we you know we can't help them, but we can go take the tree down right away. All right, so uh, to, to me this was a situation where just everybody's wrong. The Republicans don't have the permit to do this. Evers is wrong in my opinion to not let them put it up there, but but. That's what he decided to do. I think this was petty and childish, but that's what they decided to do. The Republicans, I thought, they didn't have the permit. They shouldn't have put the tree up there, and they shouldn't, shouldn't have put up another one. If they want to put up a tree, they, they put it in, in their offices. But this was one of these examples of, I think, just childishness on on both sides that drives me absolutely crazy and makes you wonder, you know, can we have grown-ups? Where are the grown-ups in this? Which brings me to this next story. The capital is closed. Now now um, legislators can go in and they can they can go and they can go to work. The the Capitol is closed. 
Dane County um, has had these very, very strict rules in place. Now, I don't think too many people have been following them, but right, remember the health department said, okay, you, you can't have anybody for Thanksgiving. You're not allowed to have anybody who doesn't live at your house over to your house. And, you know, and of course, I'm not sure that anybody really followed that, but that was, that was the rule. They subsequently modified that, I think, yesterday saying now you, you can have t- up to 10 people over to your house. But the Dane County rules, do not apply to the legislative offices. It, it's kind of like um, you, you can have a UW football game. Um, the Dane County, you know, where you're, they've banned essentially outdoor gatherings. Well, how can you have the football games? Well, it's because the University of Wisconsin is state property. The Dane County rules don't apply. So that's kind of the background. Well, what happens is there is a state senator from Spring Green. His name is Howard Markline. And his daughter is, is getting married. And they, it's a small wedding, so he requests from the Senate Sergeant at Arms. He says, "Look, I, I would like I would like authority to have the wedding, my daughter's wedding. Um, it was last Saturday, I believe, and I want to have it in the the Senate parlor in the Capitol. That the Senate parlor is a, it's a it's a formal, it's a very nice room. It, it's 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 a big." conference room, meeting room. I'm looking at a picture of it now. So the wedding is going to be 12 people. Uh, 12 people are, fit in this this room easily. It's not like you've got 200. So he says, I, I'd like permission to use this for my daughter's wedding. So he goes to, unlike the guys that were putting up the Christmas tree, Mark Line goes and he gets the he gets permission to have 12 people. And so the 12 people show up. The wedding goes off without a hitch. Everybody's happy until now the general pub. Now the, the state journal finds out about it and the Democrats are unhappy about this. Um, now, first of all, again, the, the state sergeant at arms has the authority to do this. The, the Dane County rules don't apply to the, the Senate buildings, just like the Dane County rules. Like I say, don't apply to UW football games. There's going to be a UW football game this Saturday, and you're going to have lots and lots of people that are going to be there, not fans in the stands, but still a, a large outdoor door gathering. Okay, so they use, they use the Senate room to have the wedding for 12 people. All right, into this, Wade's Milwaukee State Senator Chris Larson, a very, very upwardly mobile guy who says, putting aside the fact that social gatherings are still not safe due to the pandemic, it's astounding that Republicans will use the Capitol for things that benefit them personally, but have gone 244 days without convening to help the people of Wisconsin who have been sacrificing and suffering while the GOP takes an eight-month vacation. All right, so he, he's upset. They're using this to personally benefit themselves. How dare they schedule this wedding there? And don't they know that social gatherings are not safe? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The classy thing for somebody like Larson to have done would have been to congratulate Senator Mark Line on the, the wedding of, of his daughter. Instead, it's, oh, this is just terrible that they got a permit and they did this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. I, I have Maybe I should be outraged by this, but I have no issue at all. And this is a situation where the, the Senate controls access to this space. The guy 
put in for a request for his permit to have the daughter, a wedding for his daughter, in this very nice formal room. Twelve people showed up. It's not like you had hundreds of people there. The wedding came off as scheduled, and now this is becoming a political issue? I don't think so. But the bigger point to me is it's stuff like this, and it's this petty sniping, and that's what I think this is. It's this petty sniping which makes it clear why you know, you're never going to be able to get any sort of cooperation, you're never going to get people to agree, whether it's Evers and the Republicans on the Christmas tree in the rotunda, or Chris Larson complaining because one of his Republican colleagues got this, this meeting room for the wedding of his daughter. It's, it's these types of things which demonstrate how there's just some people who just flat out don't want to get along. And it makes me wonder whether we're ever able, going to ever be able to get compromise. I have no problem with the parlor being used for this wedding. How about you? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Jeff, how much did it cost to use the room? It's a room. It's there. Can anyone request to use the room for the same cost? I don't think he paid a, a fee. It's just, it's a room. It's like reserve the conference room. Do only the connected Republicans get to use it? No. Chris Larson would have been able to request this as well. Um, yeah, th- th- that's that's the thing. I mean, how petty do we want to get on this? Um, uh, Jeff. Uh, Chris Larson is a cheap political hack who becomes more irrelevant every time he opens his mouth. Um, you know, it's just, this is the type of thing. Okay, it's like, hey, I, I want to, could he have had the wedding in his office, his daughter's op- in his daughter's wedding in his office? Yeah, yes, he could have. This is just a room off outside the, the office. It's a room that the Senate Republican, that the senators can use. You can request it. Um, you know, I, I just think it's one of these things that's just very, very frustrating that you can't have anybody agrees. Jeff, a good leader has the ability to bring people together. I would like to say we in the state haven't seen that since Tommy Thompson. The division in the state and country is getting worse by the day. Jeff, I have no problem whatsoever with the wedding that was held in the Capitol. Um, yeah, I mean, of all the different types of things. And again, it, it's 12 people. I understand if we were talking about just from a COVID perspective, if we were talking about, oh, we're going to have, you know, 200 people that are piling in to use, you know, capital space. I, I get it. it. It's a family wedding, for goodness sakes. It's a family wedding. And this is what people are complaining about. I mean, really? Um, let's see. And then a lot of people talking about, you know, Chris Larson's kind of checkered background, but that's not the point here. Um, th- that's the, the idea of, of using this. Now, here's a text, Jeff. The state legislature that had the wedding at the Capitol is doing it just to get in the face of the Democrats. You should be pounding on that point. No, that, that, that's not what's going on at all. It's a nice room. 
You've got your daughter who's getting married. It's a nice room. It's in the capital. It's a nice backdrop. You you could go down to I, I guess the you could go down to the the local courthouse and get married. But it's a nice room to have the ceremony in. I, I mean, really, it's not just to get in the face of the Democrats. This would not have been an issue were it for some of the Democrats choosing to make it an issue. And my point about this is there's enough real divisions that are out there for people who want to pick the pick fights and and, and argue over policy things but you're going to complain because gee on a saturday afternoon when this room was vacant you got a permit and you brought in 12 people so your daughter could get married i mean seriously i mean this this is it somebody says so that uh, texter thinks the senator made his daughter get married just to upset the democrats yeah, yeah that, that that's that's it jeff it's a wedding it's not like the gop were defecting to illinois to avoid doing their job yeah that was not a highlight for the senate democrats back in 2011 look here, here's the bottom line of this and, and i lump this in the category of can't we all get along and and whether it's the christmas tree dispute where like i say i think everybody is wrong i think Tony Evers is wrong in not allowing these guys, these Republican legislators, to put up this little Christmas tree with ornaments. All right, but but okay, he, he, the rules are his his administration has to sign off on it. They didn't. Okay, that that's it. The Republicans, in my opinion, are wrong for making Evers look petty by continuing to put up the tree and forcing him to take it down. Okay, so I think everybody's wrong in this situation, trying to politicize the fact that this Republican senator used the Senate parlor with a permit for a 12-person wedding on Saturday. Oh, this is just terrible. You know, it's it's this kind of shameful back-and-forth bickering, which stops us from getting anything done. It's like a pox on everybody's house. And again, this is one of these times, whenever you see the complainer being uh, Milwaukee State Senator Chris Larson, you always have to, you know, even if you don't want to, you got to roll your eyes because every time he opens his mouth, he's politically motivated. This is a situation where, I mean, really, can't we do better? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, here is a story that goes right through me and will probably go right through you. Now, I, my mom worked for, for a dentist's office, you know, mo- most, most of her life. When, when we moved out here when I was really young, she, she went to work for a dentist in the North Shore and subsequently, um, Dr. Remington retired and, you know, he had a young protege who's been my dentist for decades and decades and decades. And, and Paul, great dentist. Lo- love him. But let, let's face it, no matter how good a dentist you have, going to the dentist is always kind of, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's people poking around in your mouths and drilling and things like that. It, it's just, you know, it, it's just an experience which, you know, you'd rather not do, but we all have to do it. There, there's no question about it. And that's why it's important to have a dentist that you trust and respect and you like and things like that. Which brings me to this particular story out of the Journal Sentinel. A federal grand jury, and of course, you you never take some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here. You never want to see your name in the same sentence that starts out, a federal grand jury has returned an indictment. You never, ever want to see your name in that connection. A federal grand jury has charged a Washington County dentist 
with health care fraud, with in, in connection with intentionally breaking teeth so he could cap them and charge the insurance company, according to an indictment. And then it lists the, the name of the dentist who's been charged, hasn't been convicted of anything yet. But the guy was a licensed dentist since um, 1986. And, and bottom line is, what, what it says he would do is he'd be like examining, examining people's teeth. And what he would do is, you know, he would, he would break off the, the tooth and then say these teeth were otherwise healthy. I mean, who knows exactly, but he's there. He would chip away at a tooth and say, oh, look, this has come off and, and say, okay, here's what the deal is. You now need to have a crown on this. And so, you know, crowns, I mean, depending on what the crown is and where you go, I mean, they can, you know, a crown can be, what, a thousand bucks, maybe, you know, maybe more than that, maybe less, depending on what it is and what's involved. And so what he would do is he would break off the tooth. He would say, you need a crown. People don't know. I mean, if my dentist, if my dentist tells me you need a crown, it's like, okay, let, let's go ahead and crown the thing. And so then what would happen is, after he would break this off, he would submit the insurance claim and he'd get the money, he'd get the money through the insurance company. Also, because crowns aren't fully, typically aren't fully covered by dental insurance, that means the individual customer would have to pay as well. But I mean, oh, so he has now been indicted on multiple counts of, uh, again, essentially breaking off the tooth. And then saying, okay, we need this. Um, they allege from January 1st, 2016 to June 28th of 2018, the dentist received $318,000 out of $745,000 in claims submitted to Delta Dental. The grand jury found during the first six months of 2019, he collected an additional $115,000 out of $352,000 in claims he submitted to Delta. The charges not covered by insurance were often paid by patients. Ugh. I'm just trying to imagine. I mean, it, you you got to have trust between you and the dentist. Got to have trust between you and the dentist. And can you imagine what's going on when you've got the dentist that's breaking teeth, allegedly, with the idea of trying to make insurance claims? I mean, wouldn't you think you have enough business without having to injure your own patients? Guess not. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have in my hands... A list of various area school districts and where they stand with regard to in-person schooling. Um, there, there is an incredible amount of pressure being brought on school boards by parents to get the ba- kids back in school. Because I think everybody recognizes that virtual learning, well, it's kind of an oxymoron. It, it, you know, and I'm sure it, it's okay for some kids, but let's let's face it. It's a poor substitute for kids in the classroom with teachers, and it's an absolutely disaster for a lot of other kids. I got a text when I first started talking about this. Jeff, let's talk about virtual schooling. Um, let's talk about how my kid spends more days in front of his PS4 than in school. Virtual school? What virtual school? And yet that's what it is for a, a number of area school districts. Now, some in our area um, have have in-person schooling. Some have hybrid. In other words, it's like two days virtual, one day closed, and then two days back in person. For um, the Milwaukee public school system, 
The, the Milwaukee public schools have been closed to in-person instruction going on a year now. And my guess is there's not going to be any intent to open them up, at least for the, the spring semester. So you're going to have some students that will have gone an entire year without being actually in a classroom. So what I want to talk about, I understand this is something that, that is a difficult theory, but what, what do we do with these kids that have, for all practical purposes, lost a year of, of schooling? I, I mean, and again, I understand that there's some kids who, who who maybe thrive with the virtual schooling, and, and maybe it's a, it's a situation where you know mom and dad have have been able to work with the kids and, and and they're doing well. And I'm sure that there are a handful of children who are like that. But let's face it, if we're being honest, for the vast majority of kids, they're they're not learning anywhere near as much or as well as they would have been if they would have been in a classroom. I, I think that's the reality. Now, if you want to challenge that premise, that's okay. But I. I I think you're just absolutely wrong on this. So, all right, let's say you have, let's say you've got a kid who is a a seventh grader and who's currently an eighth grader. So starting at the the back half of the seventh grade year, you you took them out of class and they went into the virtual schooling. Now the entire eighth grade year or most of the eighth grade year, has been virtual schooling. So that's essentially a a year and a half. Do you just automatically advance the kid to high school? Do we say, okay, you've lost a year and a half. You've lost part of your seventh grade year. You've lost your entire eighth grade year, at least to in-person instruction. We automatically kick you up to high school. Or do we start requiring kids to prove that they've got a proficiency, that they've done a good enough job, that they've advanced enough, so they're going to be able to do the high school work. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I don't, and I understand what I'm about to say is controversial, I don't think you can just automatically start making social promotions. I think given everything that's happened with COVID, you do not do any student a favor. If that student, all right, has, has lost essentially a year and a half, that we're automatically going to be able to assume that what happened and what they did on their computers or whatever, that's given them the background to essentially advance, in, in this case, from seventh grade to high school. Because what's going to happen is you get into high school, and you if you don't have the underlying background, you, 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 you haven't picked up on the math, you haven't picked up on the English or whatever, you've got no chance of doing that work. You're being set up for failure. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Once we return to normal, when, whenever that is, hopefully hopefully it'll, it'll be by next fall, do we automatically just say the, the last year and a half, we're just going to pass you along and just you know go where you would normally otherwise be? Seventh grader, you now get to go to high school, even if we have no real objective idea whether or not you can do the high school work, whether you've picked this up or whether you spend most of your time playing, you know, PS4 or PS5, which is the new one that's coming out, should we start doing proficiency testing? And if students can't meet the standards, should we hold them back for a year? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you have children that have been 
or grandchildren that have been in this sort of situation, do we automatically advance them or should we be required, should they be required to say, hey, that the last year and a half hasn't really been a complete loss. Look, we're capable of doing ninth grade work despite what's happened over the last year and a half. 855-616-1620. My answer is yeah. There, there has to be, or there certainly should be, some form of proficiency testing beyond, well, you know, they turned in a couple papers over the internet to make sure that they're able to do the work. Advancing them without a sufficient background guarantees failure of the system and guarantees that the kids are going to fail. 855-616-1620, we discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, nearly all of the kids are in the same boat. No reason to check advancement differently than historic ways. I don't know about that. I mean, can we just assume that everybody for the last year and a half, particularly the people that have been stuck in virtual schooling, yeah, I, I say stuck, look, and I know some people thrive in it. I, I concede that, but a lot of others don't. I think you can make a real strong argument that especially last spring, when it was kind of just sprung on people suddenly, that it was a complete disaster. Now, I, I think some students are better than others, but I don't think anybody would tell you that it is a good substitute for the, the in-person learning. And my question is, again, if if it's not as good, and I understand some people are saying, well, the, you know, the, the teachers still, still do great assignments and things like that. Um, yeah, but a lot of the schools have gone to pass-fail sort of stuff. I, I think if that's the case, if you believe that the virtual learning has been as good for all the kids as the um, in-person learning would have been, okay, then then why would you object to having some sort of proficiency test to measure whether or not that's, um, that is appropriate? I mean, I think that's the question. Jeff, my wife's grandson, a senior, was an excellent student with high aspirations for college and a career afterwards. That all tanked this year. His acceptance to a great university was received um, with a ho-hum by him. His grades are slipping, and I'm beginning to wonder if he'll even attend college as as all. Jeff, I'm a former high school board member and retired administrator to the public school system. I would say advance the students. Well, I don't disagree with any of your points, it would seem to me that there's enough support systems to help the students get caught up. It would also be expensive not to send the kids to school, meaning not to advance them. The cost would be greater than if you just held some back. So, and, and seeing that's the debate we're going to have to have. If, if because of, through no fault of anybody, this, is, I mean, this isn't a criticism, it's just the situation that we're in right now, but can you just pretend that everything is normal, or should we just pretend that everything is normal when you go ahead and you advance that stuff. Jeff, my daughter is doing um, all virtual learning and is doing very well academically because of her obsessive personality um, and is, by the way, in the eighth grade, for example. I am concerned about her social life because she is very isolated. Well, that's, you know, that that's the other factor that's out there. And again, I, I understand that there's some kids who are thriving in the virtual learning situation. There's some kids who are making do. My belief is that there's a good chunk of them that are floundering. And my concern is what happens next? Do we just simply say, 
okay, you're, you're floundering, you're, you're struggling, um, but we're going to advance you anyways because we have to make room for the, the next set of kids that are coming in. And if you weren't able to do 7th and 8th grade math, here, we'll, we'll put you in high school and we'll figure out you know how to help you remedially. Well, what, what's that going to do, particularly, particularly in some of the school districts where it's, it's already a, a struggle? And we, you know, we know, know where those school districts are, where it's already a struggle. And you have kids that are getting into high school right now who are barely able to read and can't do basic math. Jeff, my son's algebra teacher became sick at the beginning of 7th grade. He had substitute teachers for the rest of the year, he basically lost seventh grade algebra. He is now a senior mechanical engineering student at Platteville. He struggled his entire college career to catch up, even having to retake algebra as a freshman in college. Hi, Jeff. I don't agree with you on this. Our district has both in-person and virtual. My three kids are in virtual, which means they attend Zoom meetings with the teachers real time. My kids get mostly A's. The only thing my kids miss it is chemistry. Well, okay, that's that, that's fine. If, if the kids are doing well, then there shouldn't be an issue. If you say, I'm, I'm not saying you automatically hold everybody back. I'm saying, shouldn't we develop some objective standards to, to test proficiency you know are you capable given all the things that have happened over the last year and a half are you capable of doing in this case you know high school level work and if you're getting a's in the virtual learning and things well it it should be fine that that shouldn't be an issue it shouldn't be something that that people are afraid of it would seem to me the only people that would be afraid of this would be the people who who haven't been able to keep up but then, if you can't pass the proficiency tests, I mean, my question would be, if you can't pass the proficiency tests, do we do you any favors by simply saying, okay, you know, you're, you're doing math at a sixth grade level uh, because you lost part of seventh grade and all of eighth grade to virtual learning if it didn't work for you. So here, you're doing math at a sixth or seventh grade level. Here, we're going to put you in high school, and, and we'll see how you do. Are you doing the kids a favor for that? Mike in Green Lake. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Um, I retired from teaching and had a few kids go through school and college. Um, they had years where they had setbacks, but I think the, you know, you're in school for 13 years, so I think it'd be an overreaction to hold them back. Um, well, but how about a test? That how, about, how about a test to determine? If they if they've learned the stuff that they need to do to move on, well, you could do that every year then. Well, well, I mean, yeah. why why would this year be any different? Well, be, if we're not doing because it well, well, because this is this is a year unlike any others where you you have large right. for lots of school districts that have had like the virtual learning for a year and a half, which which works for some kids. I get it, but I think most parents would tell you it, it's a struggle. So I mean, I guess my question. I agree with that. Yeah. My wife is teaching right now, and she's in the classroom, and that's not easy at the moment either. But sure. kids in their development, like fourth, seventh, tenth grade, their brain might their body might be growing, and their brain really doesn't do much during those years anyway. So over the thirteen years, you kind of absorb mental brain you know brain years off anyway and i think the kids end up being okay over time some kids have a great they bounce back from third to fourth grade some kids bounce back from seventh to eighth and some kids catch up in 11th grade and um i don't, I don't know i just think it'd be an overreaction and I'm, I'm really not sure that 
most people would be too excited about it anyway. Oh well, no, no thanks. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, no, I'm, I'm sure lots of the parents wouldn't be excited about, it and the kids wouldn't. And again, I'm not saying you automatically hold everybody out back. I, I'm not saying we, we have to have an automatic do over of eighth grade that we're going to say eighth grade doesn't count this year. That, that's not my point. My point is, before we automatically advance people to high school from you know eighth grade, is there anything wrong with having some sort of proficiency testing to make sure that you know you over the course of the last year you've picked up the things that you need to pick up? Jeff, here's a text. Our kids are so far behind now compared to other countries that they have to be tested before they go back. If there's any signs of them not being able to handle the next grade, we're doing them a disservice if we send them to school and we're not ready for the next uh, grade. Jeff, plenty of kids in my high school could only do sixth grade math, and that was 10 years ago. Well, um, Jeff, Jeff, the students should test in. Being held back then is independent of this or that. It will cause cost more for the taxpayers. Again, I'm not arguing mandatory. Let, let's just say it's a complete and total do-over. But I am saying, okay, don't we need to have some sort of proficiency thing? Jeff, I think the kids need to contend, uh, continue attending school over the summer, allow for shorter breaks. Uh, Jeff, I heard that Chicago schools are going to switch to in-person learning, but the teachers are going to be virtual from their homes. So the kids will be in school and the teachers will be safe at home. They are also hiring 2,000 aides to be classroom chaperones. Sounds like a terrible plan. Jeff, I believe in testing for proficiency. However, this could cause problems with social structures among children. How embarrassing would it be for you to be held back while all your friends get to move forward? Well, that's the whole idea of social promotion. And it's always been, it's always been the ongoing debate. You know, do we, do we hold people back because they can't do the work, hoping that they're going to be able to catch up at some point in time? Or do we say, you know, you know, you, you've got to be able to do the work before you go on? I've told this story before, but I, I, um, I was trying to get through college as quick as I could, quickly as I could, and it was, um, it was calculus, and I. I, I'm good with numbers. I'm kind of a numbers guy. I was good with finance. I was good in accounting and stuff like that. But some of the advanced mathematical theory classes, that, that's just not my thing. I freely acknowledge it's not my thing. My first semester taking, it was calculus, and I did okay. I think I got a B or something at all A's and I had a B. And, and I, but I, I really didn't grasp the stuff. I just worked really hard and I kind of memorized a lot of stuff and I saw, hey, this is this formula and when you see this, this is what's supposed to happen. So by working hard, I was able to do it. Well, I got greedy because the school I went to said that if you took the second semester of like super advanced calculus and you got a B or whatever, you get extra credits. So instead of getting three credits, you get like six credits. I forget what it, whatever it was. I got sucked in. My, my problem was I was just way over my head because I didn't have I, I got through the first semester, but I really didn't understand why stuff w- was happening. And but I got through it because I worked really hard. Well, by the time I got the second semester, I, I just I didn't have that that underpinning uh, to understand. You know, because you know I didn't have the platform that I went off on the advanced sort of stuff. That second semester, I think I had I took a really a, a, a big course load. I think I had six A's and a D. The only D I think I ever got in my entire academic life, and that D was probably a gift because I think the instructor felt sorry for me because he knew I was working so hard. But I mean that that's just a classic example to me of why you you don't do people a favor by just 
promoting them or kicking them along if they don't have the underpinnings. I mean, if you can't do seventh grade math, we, we don't do you a favor by, by sending you up to high school. You know, and, and maybe it's, it's not a question of holding you back. Maybe it's, okay, we, we've got to change the high school math classes or, or whatever. I'm, I'm open to all that sort of stuff. But I am legitimately afraid that for maybe not your kid or maybe not your grandchild, but for a lot of kids, this what's happened over the last year and a half, and it's not a, it's just circumstances. It's just life. It's not blaming the schools or blaming the parents or blaming the teachers. It's just life. I am concerned that what has happened has put a lot of kids very, very far behind. And I think you got to deal with it now as opposed to dealing with it five years from now or three or four years from now simply by advancing people if they don't have the skills, if they don't have the skills. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. There's something interesting going on with the Milwaukee County Board, and I want to discuss it with you because... The, the, the last time they pulled something like this involving pensions, it, it ended up just decimating the county. And, and they did it at the de- under the dead of night. Nobody was paying attention to this. Now I think people need to pay attention, and we're going to discuss this. Now, let me back up for just a minute. We, we talk a lot about the Milwaukee County pension scandal, and I understand that that it doesn't seem like it, but that was going on 20 years ago. And what happened in the Milwaukee County pension scandal was members of the county board and the then county executive, the, the late Tom Amitt, they, they came up with this idea that they said was going to be revenue neutral, which essentially allowed some of the employees who, who worked for the county, it allowed them to kind of uh, kind of like, sort of like buy back pension credit and, and with, without getting too deeply into the weeds. But what happened is in exchange for putting up a little bit of money up front, the employees, particularly well-paid and long-serving employees, could they'd stay longer past their retirement date. And what would happen is when they retired, they were able to cash in. And in several cases, you have people that had um, walked away with over a million dollars. For example, you had some highly paid employees in the medical examiner's office and the DA's office who were making like six figures. They were able to walk away at the end of their careers with like a lump sum cash payment of hundreds of thousands of dollars and in some cases over a million. All right, but on top of that, the way this system worked is that Not only did they get the lump sum cash payment, but they were also able to collect what would be like a full pension. So you'd get a million dollars and you'd get a pension of of $80,000 or whatever it is moving forward. And it was just, I mean, look, if it had been something saying, all right, you can take your pension money and you can get paid off up front in a lump sum, that would be one thing. But this was enormous lump sum payments 
and it was continuing pay, uh, pension obligations. And the, the, the defense at the time, members of the county board said, well, we, we were, the, the actuarial people just weren't straight with us. Um, we had no idea. We thought it was going to be revenue neutral. It led to a huge scandal. It led to the then county executive facing a, a recall and resigning because he was going to be recalled. It ended up in recall elections that, that took out a whole bunch of members of the county board that voted for this. And it, it's something that has cost Milwaukee County millions and millions of dollars over the last two decades. I mean, one of the reasons the county is in such poor financial shape is because of this whole pension scandal. Because what happens is, once you make changes to people's pension programs, you, you, you can't, by law, go back. You can't undo it. It is the gift that continues to give. Journal Sentinel, matter of fact, says, um, just th- this is 20 years ago. But but the taxpayers are still paying for this. In October, which is the last month available, the county handed out lump sum payments totaling $543,000 to seven new county employees. And, and again, so if you average it, seven, that's like $70,000 plus, and they're still going to be collecting on average, and they're still going to be collecting like these large pensions. So everybody agrees it was a nightmare. Everybody agrees that it was a problem that, was undertake because nobody was paying attention. That that was just the bottom line. Nobody was paying attention to what went on in county government. And I understand that there were county employees, including some of the people who were the architects of this, saying we had no idea it was going to be this way. I always had trouble believing that because as somebody who, who started his career working for the federal government, I mean, I, I knew a lot of federal employees, good employees. This isn't a knock on them, but they knew exactly I mean, after working a year or two, they knew exactly when they could retire 20 years later. They knew when they could retire. They knew exactly how much money they were going to get. It always struck me as, well, just a little bit beyond belief that that you would make these massive changes and that some of the architects of it didn't really know what was, oh, I I can't believe we made this change and now suddenly I get a million dollars and $80,000 a year for pensions. Oh, imagine my surprise. I, I, I never bought that. But Okay, so that was the pension scandal, and we've been paying for it, you know, since then, over $300 million so far in what they call backdrop payments to 2,400 county employees. All right, which brings us to what the county board wants to do now. It has been, with the the pandemic, it has been just a rotten year, And, and you've had, I guess there are some people whose jobs haven't been affected, but most people have had some impact on their jobs. Maybe maybe you were furloughed, and then maybe that furlough turned into a permanent layoff. Maybe you were asked to take a reduction in, in pay, you know, where in order to keep people working. It, it, the, this has affected pretty much everybody, and it affected Milwaukee County. Milwaukee County had to do furloughs. Now, the way the pension rules work in Milwaukee County is that – the fur- if you are furloughed, now let me back up. You you get credit if you're a county employee. You get you get credit um, towards your your pension, and and the the credit's a big deal. Every year, a Milwaukee County employee that works full time gets a single pension service credit. You can take up to thirty days a year of unpaid leave without losing that credit. 
And, and that's that's important because your pension is going to be based on your time in service. So you can take up to 30 days of unpaid leave. And as long as you work the balance of the year, you still get that pension credit. All right. So what is being proposed is to say for all the county employees who have been furloughed for more than that 30 days, we're going to give them the pension credit anyhow. We're going to pretend that they were actually working when, when they weren't. So we're going to allow them to get the pension credit, even though they, they would not have otherwise been entitled to it. Now, the, the interesting thing is the officials who are doing this acknowledge that they are unaware of any public pension system in the country, including ones run by the state or the city, that grants retirement credits to furloughed workers. Um, the, one of the supervisors says, I've done some research and I have not heard of another county or municipality in the country allowing members who were far furloughed due to COVID-19 to earn service time. Now, I, I, I don't know. I tried to do a little bit of quick research, and again, it, it varies, but I, I'm not sure that there's any private business for whom people, once you're furloughed, they're still giving you pension credit. And yet that is precisely what Milwaukee County is about to do. Now, there is going to be some cost. Now, we've heard this before. Um, the way it's being described is, is the cost would be minimal. Um, you know, 50000 maybe a hundred to 50000 um, by not contributing to retirement plans for furloughed county workers. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, color me a little bit skeptical because, again, I saw what the pension scandal has done for Milwaukee County over the last 20 years. I understand that you know workers who've been laid off or furloughed have been hurting. I, I get that. I, I understand it, and I'm not unsympathetic to that. Whether you're a county worker that's furloughed, whether you're a city worker that's been furloughed, whether you're a state worker that's been furloughed, or whether you're somebody in the private sector that has been furloughed. I guess, to me, though, the idea, first of all, I, I think... I think giving you pension credit and allowing you to get a full year pension credit if you take 30 days of unpaid leave it is generous. My guess is there's not a lot of private pension companies or outfits that do that. But I don't know that there's any place which would say you're going to get credit for working when you've been furloughed. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my comment on this is, Milwaukee County residents, given what happened with the pension scandal before this goes very far, there needs to be an extensive vetting on this to figure out what the short term and what the long term costs are going to be by giving this extra year of pension credit or maybe two years of pension credit or whatever to furloughed employees. If it turns out to really be a negligible amount, well, maybe you can say it's a nice benefit. But but do you trust the people that are making these decisions in Milwaukee County right now? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're furloughed, should you continue to get pension credit? We discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Pay attention, I come this way but once. Having seen what the Milwaukee County Executive and the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors did to Milwaukee County 18, 20 years ago, whenever I hear them starting to talk about major league giveaways as part of the pension plan, red flags go up. Now, keep in mind, you know, in the private sector, most most people do not have pension plans anymore. Most people have 401ks. That So the, the pension plan is something that largely right now is 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 limited to public sector workers to begin with. So if you're just tuning in, I mean here here's the deal. There there have been a number of county employees who through no fault of their own, it's an indictment of them, they they've been furloughed. The Milwaukee County Board wants to become what I think would be the first the first public governmental entity in the country to start giving pension credit for people who have been furloughed. In other words, we're going to give you time and service, and we're going to make contributions to the pension plan for you, even though you have not been working. Um, here's a text, Jeff. It won't be as expensive as the first pension scandal. Let me stop there. I, I, you sure as heck hope not. You don't think anything could be as expensive as the first pension scandal, which has already cost what o- over what $300 million dollars um, in backdrop payments to the taxpayers of Milwaukee County. No, it couldn't be more expensive than the first one. Um, it won't be as expensive as the first pension scandal, but it's just another unnecessary giveaway at taxpayer expense. Yeah, that that's it. Jeff, the county is out of touch. Private sector no longer has pensions. County, local governments, or state needs to get out of the pension business entirely. All new employees should go on a 401k-like plan. No pensions, no way. We taxpayers can no longer afford to pay for them. All right, well... I, you know that that's a I think a reasonable point and a fair debate. But moving forward, before you even take any thought, now the one of the committees I think advanced this five to zero because again you have these supervisors. Oh, this is something nice. Let's give it to the let's give it to the employees, despite the fact that it's the taxpayers that are going to have to ultimately pick up the tab, and it's the taxpayers who've been picking up the tab for the last time the county board decided to monkey around with pensions. Um, thinking something was revenue neutral when it was really going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Bottom line of this is, it, it really, people need to be putting up stop signs and saying, before we do something like this, it needs to be vetted thoroughly. And there needs to be realistic analysis and a reasonable a real solid projection of what it is going to cost the taxpayers moving forward. And then then you can put it out on the table, and then you can say, okay, if it's going to cost $150,000, all right, is this the best use of $150,000 in taxpayer money? If it's going to cost 500000 if it's going to cost a million, whatever that cost is, get it out there and then make that decision. But whenever I hear that the Milwaukee County Board wants to be one of the leaders, the first in the country, to start with a giveaway when it comes to pensions to public employees, in this case, who are furloughed. I'm sorry, red lights, stop signs, flashing lights, you name it, they go off all around my head, and they should be going off all around your head as well. All right, when we come back, let's find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.